Nothing you hear in this program constitutes investment advice. It is an expression of opinion only. This is Frisbees, Bulls and Bears. Talking money and markets. What's happening and why. We talk to the experts, the traders, the investors and the companies they're investing in. You're listening to Frisbees, Bulls and Bears with Dominic Frisbee. And welcome to Frisbee's Bulls and Bears, formerly Commodity Watch Radio, hosted in association with Mindsight. I'm Dominic Frisbee, and today I'm talking to contrarian economist Fred Harrison and investor Michael Hampton. This is an extended interview, so I've divided it up into two parts. In the first, we talk generally about the UK property market and the economy, and in the second, which I'll post in a few days, we discuss some of Fred's ideas for reform. Today we are talking property, we're talking UK property and it's my pleasure to welcome to the show two esteemed gentlemen. On my right is sitting Fred Harrison, he's the founder of The Renegade uh, Economist. He has a book coming out very soon called Screw You Economics. Uh, he uh, has a very well-known and liked theory regarding UK property that there's an 18-year cycle, 14 years up and four years down. I'm sure you'll be telling us more about that later on. But uh, Fred, welcome to the show. Thank you. And sitting on my left is Michael Hampton, also known as Dr. Bub. He's a, uh, an investor, a trader, and uh, also an author. Mike, uh, welcome back to the show. It's good to be here. Now, um, let's, let's see where we are in, in the UK um, property market. I remember back in March, Mike, um, based on the chart action of, of Barrett Homes, you were predicting a, a bounce in the UK property market. We've had that bounce, and now there is a lot of bullish sentiment. Everyone is uh, saying that the, the crash is over and the new rise is underway. What, what, what's your view? Well, I think this is a dead cat bounce, and uh, you must remember that when sentiment becomes very bullish, um, it's usually already in the price. So what we have seen, um, and I, I, I'd like to correct one thing you said, is actually it was the 4th of April, I made a posting on uh, one of the websites, uh, housepricecrash.co.uk, that um, the, uh, there was going to be a dead cat bounce, and that was predicated on the action of Barrett Holmes. Um, Barrett broke out um, above some resistance with very high volume, and that was a sign to me that Barrett and the other builders were headed higher because the other builders were doing the same thing. And uh, what I've seen is over the years is the um, physical house prices have tended to follow the lead of the builders. I have various theories for that, which we could go into later if you wanted to, but um, I think it was giving us a good clue that the market was headed up. And we've seen a pretty dramatic move since then. I think that at the time the uh, Barrett was around 100p and it peaked out, maybe peaked out about a week or two ago, around 290. So it's gone up almost three times since then, and it's led a pretty uh, 
enormous change in sentiment. Uh, back in February, um, the, uh, the property derivatives were reflecting a three-year forward price of $111,000 versus uh, current price of about $160,000, a huge discount. And that was do you, do you mean reflection. Pounds? Sorry, pounds. Yeah. Pounds, yes, pounds. And that's a reflection of the huge negative sentiment that existed then. What's interesting is that property derivative, which was 111,000 pounds back in February, um, now is above spot. It's a slight premium. It's about a 3% premium to spot, uh, which is a huge turnaround. And the property derivative reflects what the average UK house price? Well, it reflects what people buy and sell uh, uh, Halifax-related property derivative. So that's what someone is willing to pay for a derivative which will uh, be settled against the Halifax price, the average price of uh, three years out, three years from now. So that's a pretty amazing change. And um, I've got a number of reasons I think that's happened, which we can go into later. Um, but I personally think this is about to finish. Uh, as we said in our last podcast, uh, it looks like a deflationary swing may be starting. It may have started just a couple of days ago. Uh, earlier this week, um, based on the turn in the dollar, the dollar's turned up. And uh, I think quite a number of assets, including property, are now going to be heading downwards. And uh, we'll pretty soon see it in Barrett, if, if it is turning down. And then soon thereafter, we should see it in the physical property market. So I think this is a dead cat bounce, and I think it's almost done. Excellent. Uh, well, Fred, uh, do, you, do you have any, any comments on what Mike's just said? Well, I concur that this was not, never going to be a sustainable recovery in the housing market. Uh, the fundamentals, as economists put it, uh, were never there to uh, justify uh, the, the momentary blip upwards. Um, it's not just in the UK, but uh, pretty well all of European and North American economies are on life support systems. Uh, and it's not just the housing or the property market that seems to be benefiting momentarily, but uh, in other ways, these are the so-called green shoots that uh, some have claimed to perceive. Uh, we've uh, majored on debt in the last cycle. Governments have uh, applied yet more debt to the system, trying to keep the patient alive. Uh, the pump priming, the money infusion is going to come to an end sooner or later and when that happens what relief is being offered uh, will wither away and people will discover that with increases in unemployment uh, the failure for, of the jobs market to recover in the way that they would traditionally have done in the past uh, the need to uh, relieve themselves of so much of the legacy of debt inherited from the last cycle all of these will just swamp uh, people's expectations and uh, the housing market uh, price increases which we've seen which were largely illusionary for most people uh, will wither away. For instance a lot of money is coming out of Hong Kong uh, and China generally into property markets like in Australia uh, but these have been uh, for high value properties where investors have seen that uh, looking into the next 20 years and their expectations of how they're going to move into these uh, 
Anglo-American economies, they would do well to have property. So they've been selectively buying uh, the juicier properties and therefore moved the average price up. Uh, But for most people in the regions in the UK, for example, uh, it's been a uh, continuous process of downward movement in property prices. So uh, I agree that uh, it's not a sustainable uh, trend that we've seen. And uh, this autumn they revert to going down again. It, it's interesting that some central London properties have, uh, have been achieving near 2007 high prices. The thing is, for foreigners, they've actually fallen, I don't know, 20 or 30%, depending on which currency they were buying with. Yes. So cash-rich buyers who you know, don't need mortgages, now is a wonderful time uh, to compete for the trophy properties, And the prices of those properties, uh, uh, because so few transactions are taking place, relatively speaking, uh, have moved the average up. So the Halifax and Nationwide, whose data never offered a a reliable forecast of what was going to happen, uh, appears to suggest that prices are rising up. And from that, uh, people are drawing inferences that are not legitimate. Prices will not recover from here on end, in my view. Um, last, last autumn and winter, we basically saw our property market freeze and uh, uh, transactions dried up almost altogether. Now, transactions have picked up, but it is still much lower volume than it was, I don't know, say two or three years ago. Mike, what can we read into those lower volumes? Well, if you look at stock prices, um, one of the signs I look for in stock prices uh, I look for volume to confirm the direction of price. So when prices are moving up on light volume, that's a sign that volume is not confirming price. And um, when prices are moving down on high volume, that's a uh, uh, sign that it is. What we've seen the last few months since February is we've seen a, ra- a, a, a rally on light, lightish volume. And that, that's a sign for me that it's probably not sustainable. It will be easy to retrace that. Um, one of the main causes of this, if I can move on to that, and I think it's, it's an interesting anecdote, is interest rates are really very low right now. They're the lowest in the history of the UK. And that was led by 150 basis points drop. Uh, was it last December that was, uh, or November, that was uh, in- taken uh, by the Bank of England? Huge drop. And um, what's interesting now is People who have historical mortgages, mortgages that were contracted one or two or three years ago, um, are at base rates minus something. A friend of mine who happens to be selling his property for various reasons actually has an interest rate which should have a a mortgage which should have a negative interest rate. Um, He was telling me that his 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 contract, his mortgage contract is base rate minus something that would actually put him at a negative interest rate where the bank should be paying him to, to hold the mortgage. <laughs> and uh, the bank phoned him up and said, I'm sorry, sir, but although we should be paying you neg- an actual interest rate for holding this mortgage, we can't do that. It's not a- allowed by our, our, uh, our rules. Would you accept paying us an interest rate of 35 pounds a month? And he lives in a home that he's now sold for 800 and 50,000 pounds, I think, and he's quite happy to pay a monthly interest payment of 35 pounds. 
So I think that shows us what's going on right now in the property market. People have old mortgages, are paying phenomenally low rates, and one reason we're not seeing a lot of supply in the market is people cannot contemplate moving uh, from that sort of situation to one where they're paying something close to a market rate. There are lots of people who have these cheap mortgages, and they just want to stay put, so they're not putting their places on the market. Now, his case is an interesting one because he sadly lost his job some months ago, and uh, he, frankly, he needs some money. So he's selling his property in order to replace some of the income that he's lost. I happen to think he's making a smart move from the standpoint of the property market, but um, he's not making a smart move from the standpoint of his monthly moving costs. So he'll be selling his place, cashing a huge profit on that property, and moving into rented accommodation where he'll be paying considerably more than 35 pounds a month. Um, but I think that shows us one reason why the transaction volume is so low. I mean, it, but that is, that's, that's artificial economics, isn't it? I mean, that, that's, that must be unsustainable. Well, clearly, the, the new mortgages that are being negotiated now are not at negative interest rates. Um, I'm not sure the low starting rates now, but I reckon 3% or 4% might be the lowest rate one can get currently, uh, you know, on a market-driven basis rather than a teaser rate. Um, so that's quite a lot higher. But quite a number of people would be moving if they move home, if they sell homes or renegotiate their mortgage or replace their mortgages, they're going to be paying a much higher rate, and that's why prices, properties are not on the market, because people want to hold on to those very cheap mortgages that they have. Um, so I think that's one of the really major, major causes. And as Fred said, to pick up on one of his points, um, the economy is weak. People are losing jobs. The number of jobs, and I want to come to this a little bit later, the number of jobs in, in the UK is declining right now. So the number of people who can afford to pay present, re present rents and, uh, is, is declining. So I think rents are going to be under pressure. And over time, this will undermine uh, house prices. Yes, and so people are staying, many of them are staying put. The supply is dry, has dried up. And that, therefore, appears to give uh, a, f a firmness to the price uh, range in the market that's actually artificial because uh, over the next six months a lot of buy-to-let properties, apartments will start to flood onto the market. A lot of people who are going to be coming unemployed will, as in your friend's case, suddenly have to sell in order to make ends meet and that will increase the supply and that will drive prices further down. Would you agree, Fred, that interest rates are artificially low? Well, they are. That's the intention of government. Uh, uh, How long can they keep them that low for? Well, uh, that's what they're talking about today in Pittsburgh, uh, the exit strategy. How do you rebalance the eco global economy? Uh, if, if inflation does become a threat, they will have to raise interest rates. If they do that, then what happens to the jobs market? Uh, our world leaders are caught in between a rock and a hard place. Their policy tools are so limited that um, what works now, low interest rates, trying to get credit moving in the uh, lending to small business and, and so on, is, is absolutely necessary. But at some point they will be panicked into start raising them because of the fear of inflation 
and then they'll start to crucify the jobs market and uh, investment into uh, enterprises that create those jobs. So, uh, yes, uh, people whose mortgages are becoming cheaper to finance, uh, well, that's a great relief for them, of course, but overall it won't actually save the economy. Um, you've identified what you describe as, a, as an 18-year cycle in UK property that's gone back as far as, I believe, the 18th century, or was it the 17th? Well, it goes back earlier. Oh, earlier. OK. And uh, largely speaking, you have 14 up years and four down years. Do you think these artificial economics will lead to the four down years going on or being extended, as it was, say, in Japan? We've got to view the business cycle in terms of it being a global, a single cycle with, of course, regional variations. Uh, so uh, part of the, the cycle will reassert itself in the way that it has traditionally done, irrespective of the eccentric features that dominated in the 20th century or in the 19th or 18th century. Um, there's this one... Uh, constant in the market economy that doesn't change whether we've got uh, military conflicts going, whether there's hyperinflation or deflation still, the one constant is always the way the property market economics operates and affects uh, people's expectations, intentions and rewards and so on. So uh, what the last cycle was the first, as I regard it, the first global, truly global cycle where all economies were integrated. Uh, and uh, it, it uh, was exceptional because it was the first one, but still conformed to the 18-year pattern. The next one will be exceptional, but still conform to the 18-year pattern. The reason why it will be exceptional is because... Uh, there will be great adjustments in the relationships between the trading blocks. People will have to come to terms with the fact that they're no longer top dog, that their industries are no longer profitable and so on, and so there will be a rearrangement of power, economic power. The epicenter has already shifted eastwards. That's where it's going to stay. Uh, and so huge adjustments will be necessary globally in this single cycle. But within the cycle, we will still have that pattern, the global pattern of 18-year uh, growth, within which there will be this global property cycle, yes, with local variations, as we're seeing in China now. Prices are very buoyant because they're cash-rich, and that's where the money's going. We're seeing in Australia segments of the property market in Sydney and Melbourne are actually rising in value because money's coming in from another part of the global market, which happens to be China. Uh, but, the, but the profile of the cycle will remain the same, and in 18 years' time, if we sat here, I'm quite sure you'll say, good gracious, yeah, it did f fit that 18-year now, there, there are a number of people who uh, listen to this show who rent and uh, will be looking to buy at some stage. There might be people who sold their houses uh, seeing a bust coming, or they might be people who uh, waited before they bought their first home. Um, based on your cycle, uh, if we peaked in 2007, they should be looking to buy in when? 2011? Uh, depends on your personal uh, circumstances and the location where you're wanting to buy and uh, what your intentions are. Uh, there are some good, de really good deals to be got now, 
but uh, there are still the co constraints of uh, mortgage availability. Uh, so there's no one answer to that question. If you're a first-time buyer, uh, you've got to put down a huge deposit. Um, if I were going to switch from renting to buying, I'd wait another year or 18 months uh, and then look for the kind of property that happens to suit me. Uh, but I wouldn't be expecting uh, considerable capital gains within the next very few years following the purchase of the property. Uh, I think people shouldn't be panicked at the moment into buying because they've seen uh, yeah. a, a few price increases in a few properties in, in Knightsbridge and Chelsea. Uh, I think people should take their time and get all the ducks in a row and then buy the property that really suits them and they've got one or two years in which to make that choice, in my view. Mike? Um, I'd like to just mention two things. Um, jobs yep. and population. Yep. And in terms of jobs, I think this is going to be important for the next three years or so. Um, where, And Fred mentioned this before, buy-to-let. Um, there could be a lot of buy-to-let properties for sale in the next few years. And I think if we do see that, and I think we will, it will be because rents are under pressure. And uh, the other side of it will are interest rates. Interest rates may not stay down so much. So landlords who did very, very well over the 14-year upswing in the cycle are probably going to suffer a lot in the next few years, especially from here. So if rents go down and uh, interest rates go up, they're going to be squeezed on both sides. And I think we're going to see quite a lot of those properties for sale. They're already finding they're having a very hard time getting the same mortgages that they used to get. Uh, I read this week while I was in London um, that uh, one of the banks, I can't remember which one it was, has decided to cut back on the maximum loan it will give to any buy, single buy-to-let landlord from, um, I think the figure was from $6 million to $3 million. It was basically they were cutting in half the, the, the total aggregate amount of loans they would give to any single buy-to-let landlord. And they were also cutting back on the number of properties that they'd finance. So these types of pressures are new. I think the banks have discovered that it's safer to lend to owner-occupiers, especially when they can actually afford the place they're living in. And it's less safe to lend to uh, uh, investors because those investors have to rely on finding people to rent their properties. And if rentals are under downwards pressure, that's going to squeeze the cash flow and make those loans less uh, eligible, so less um, less secure. Um, so I think this pressure could become quite severe over the next few years. And if we see some inflationary pressures popping up by the end of 2010, perhaps because of a weak pound, if the pound gets very weak, then inflation is going to pick up here. Um, higher rates and lower rents could put a big squeeze on this market by 2011 or 2012. And that's where I would guess we're going to see the low somewhere out there. I, I have a very clear recollection. Uh, I mean, I was just a student at the time, but if, of the 1989 to 1994 crash. And one of the things that characterized that crash in property for me was all the repossessions. Um, somebody's going past with a wheelbarrow or something, a trolley. Uh, yes, it was all the repossessions, and um, that hasn't happened this time, largely because of the low interest rates. Do you think perhaps well, that's just an inevitable part of a, of a property decline and, and that's, it's coming, even though the low interest rates have kind of delayed it for a bit? 
Yeah, it, uh, the housing market is like the jobs market where governments this time round have found ways to persuade employers in the jobs market not to sack workers too soon. They've offered various incentives in Europe to hang on to labour, but those incentives will, are in the process of drying up and workers will have to be sacked. And it's the same with the, the emphasis on uh, banks hang on to, don't actually repossess properties just yet, try and give the occupants uh, the opportunity to stay in their homes. That moratorium also is going to be running out soon. Now, when all these things run out, when banks, building societies, employers realise that actually they're not got through the worst and they will need to adjust their um, cost base, uh, they will have to sack people, they will have to repossess homes, etc., etc. And so uh, the, the pressure on uh, prices in the housing market will, can only be uh, to push them down. There's also another... Presumably Labour don't want a, a spate of repossessions while they've got an election coming no, up as well. But, they, but that will start happening over the winter into the spring before the election and so they, I don't see how they can... Do you think it's it. that soon it's coming? Yeah. Uh, on the demographic issue uh, as it affects the housing market, Traditionally, people retire and many of them sell up their homes that uh, actually uh, exceed the space they need and move to the south coast of England or the west country mm -hmm. and so on. Those people won't be moving for a variety of reasons, one of which is their pension expectations have been shattered. They're going to have to stay put, which mm -hmm. dries up the supply, the turnover of properties, and actually some of them will be looking for jobs and are already getting them mm -hmm. uh, after retiring in like in, B in Q supermarkets uh, uh, stocking shelves to make help to make ends meet uh, keeping the young people out of jobs though many young people don't seem to want jobs as it happens <laughs> uh, but the the many uh, people of retirement age are staying put not increasing the supply of uh, dwellings into the market uh, and struggling to make ends meet themselves, which is also adding to the pr pressure on property mm -hmm. prices and uh, helping to seize up that market uh, and delaying any recovery. Repossession must be an awful thing for anyone who it happens to. To have your home taken away must be a, a, a terrifying experience. But I was reading a story about a gentleman in Japan who bought a house for something like $400,000 uh, near the top of the market in 1989. And 20 years later, he's still stuck in that home because uh, even though he can make the repayments on it, he can't sell it because if he sells it, it's only worth, I don't know, $200,000 and he's got to find $100,000 to pay off the debt from. So in a funny kind of way, that guy's been trapped there for 20 years. He would have been better off having that home repossessed and, and washing his hands and starting all over again. Do you have any thoughts on that, Mike? Or you were about to say something, Fred? Well, uh, only that um, they're more brutal about it in America and uh, they are repossessing properties not quite as fast as they might have been, yeah. for the reasons I've given, but nonetheless there's no um, sentimentality about uh, pushing people out of homes and, and uh, wiping out debts that people can't afford, which has got to happen because the, the debt level 
private, corporate, and now government is so huge that it's unsustainable and uh, so much of it has got to be cancelled one way or another. Uh, so that uh, gentleman in Japan should have walked away from the property and denied the debt and would have been better off. And that's what um, many Americans are very happy to do. But uh, many Americans are also too... There are many who are staying put and trying to make their repayments and they're too proud or they see it as dishonourable to walk away. So well, maybe that, that's a Japanese uh, cultural attitude, and uh, I'm surprised to hear that many Americans have it because uh, we some, know some do, so, some <laughs> some don't. Some do, but uh, the, the, but the last recession back in the early 90s, the handing in of the key and walking away was a phenomenon that we became yeah. familiar with, uh, and. Um, uh, but it's interesting that they bothered to hand in the key at all. I mean, you just think you just walk, but anyway. Uh, yeah, uh, did you have a comment, Mike? Yeah, I, I, I really want to talk a little bit here about, uh, we, Fred mentioned demographics, but I'd like to talk about uh, a risk that may exist, perhaps in my head, but also in reality, um, and that's the notion of depopulation in London. Um, now, most people, including the consuls, would regard this as crazy, because I've seen forecasts about from various consuls about their forecasting population increased by 2 to 5 percent per annum in their local areas. But I, I think they really need to take into consideration the possibility, not uncertainty, but the possibility that London might depopulate. Now, I've seen this in, in Detroit, and yeah. I, it's hard to make big comparisons between Detroit, but I was born in Detroit. And from the time I was born there, quite a few years ago, the population reduced from 2 million people to about 700,000. Now, I don't expect anything like that sort of dramatic drop in, in London. But I do think, rather than being positive, we might see negative growth over the next few years. Well, just, just to support you quickly there, I read this week that fewer and fewer people are using the tube. Uh, their, their figures are down, and as a result, they're going to have to put fares up. There's a surprise. But uh, if less people are using the tube, that's a, that I would suggest that's an indicator of population. Yeah, well, you know, we've had a lot of Polish people go back to Poland, um, and, and Fred might have something to say about that. Um, yeah, uh, I don't share the view that London is going to be depopulated if we're talking about more than the next you know, few months where migrant workers decide to go home because if they're going to be unemployed, they may as well be with their families yeah. and unemployed. Um, look, we have to look at uh, the population movements uh, in Britain uh, in the context of the whole of Europe. The Europe of the next cycle is going to see a heavy displacement of people from the periphery to the core economy because it's the core economy that's going to, relatively speaking, prosper. And that begins in London and then takes in a bit of southern Germany and northern France and back to London. That's the core. People on the periphery will discover life's very difficult. And what do they do? They migrate. And then, of course, there's the migration from the rest of the world, particularly Africa and the Middle East. Uh, we've seen how many Afghans are camped in France waiting to get into the UK. So, uh, but within Europe, uh, sorry, within the UK, there are going to be whole regions which will not recover their employment prospects so over the next cycle. So what, what are people going to do? They have to hope that if they can get a toehold in London and the southeast, they might get a job. 
even though they know the housing uh, crisis uh, will be a tough one, to, uh, a challenge, an obstacle to overcome. So, uh, no, um, the, the Detroit case was deindustrialization. Uh, the London case is London and the South East is going to be the only bright spot in the UK over the next 10, 15 years. And so you've got a large number of people coming in from the UK regions and also from Eastern Europe who will decide that, once again, uh, they're better off in London. Let me try and make a case for this because, look, I might be wrong. So, but um, let's hear it. But here's my case. Uh, I mean, I came to this uh, intuition from having visited Detroit and seeing, and we did a podcast on that about yeah. the, the man buying the $100 house. Mm -hmm. um, but what led me to think it might even happen in London was by seeing what's happening in California today. And California, because of a collapse in tax revenues, is, is now facing a situation where they're generating through tax revenues about 70% of what they need to run the government. So they're now at the edge of needing to make some pretty dramatic cuts in, in, in government spending. So I think Fred will be right, provided the government can sustain its spending. Now, I don't think that's going to happen in London. I think what's going to happen is we're going to see two very big negative uh, effects here. One is falling employment in the city, city of London. And I, I, I read during this trip that lawyers here are now being major partners in magic circle law firms are now charging half per hour of what they were charging a couple of years ago. So there, there's a drop in income and revenue being seen in the city now. So that's one, one big employment, employer decreasing the number of jobs and incomes it's paying out. The second one is the government. And here, you know, Gordon Brown was successful at keeping his promise of uh, avoiding an end to boom and bust um, 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 by basically stoking up employment in, in, in the public sector. And I think all the uh, candidates now are talking about the need to reduce the, uh, to cut government spending. So I think there are going to be a lot less, fewer jobs around, and that's going to mean perhaps less people living here. And maybe other parts of the UK uh, will discover, uh, rediscover if the pound drops, uh, manufacturing, rediscover farming. Uh, they might rediscover activities which are not government subsidized. Um, and there'll be fewer jobs here, and, and, and things will scatter out a bit. So I'd like to think this is an open possibility, even if it looks unlikely today. Well, for my 2P, I think uh, we'll see um, much bigger price falls in uh, our equivalents of Detroit, which would be Newcastle, Liverpool, those kind of former industrial towns of the north. But the, the, the pound is the huge... Um, factor in all of this because a weak pound will suddenly, yes, it will make manufacturing a much more uh, attractive opportunity and it will mean that uh, fewer migrant workers will want to come here because their actual earnings will be considerably lower with a weak pound. And, um, but there are a lot of polls, for example, I, I, I agree that some are returning, but there are many who have now started a family here, they've got kids at school here, you know, they're here now for the next generation or so. So there's all sorts of, 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 of different drivers of all of this, but the, the pound, I think, is a, is a potential disaster waiting to happen. And uh, we could 
we could ease, we're going to see parity with the euro and we could even see parity with the dollar at some stage. Do you have a, a view of the pound, Fred? Yeah. <clears throat> the imponderable is this. Where, uh, where is the strength in the currency markets? Uh, would you prefer the dollar to the pound? Is euro really going to be a, uh, competitive uh, when whole swathes of the euro economy like Spain are actually declared to be in depression and therefore creating enormous pressures, demographic, economic, social, within the European economy. Uh, Spain, for instance, forecasted to have unemployment rising to 35%. Oh, uh, that's a terrifying uh, figure. And, I mean, economists are now formally saying that Spain actually can't avoid what they are willing to call a depression. By the way, when is a recession a depression? The UK has had five quarters of negative growth. A recession is two. So what is five? Well, five can't be a recession. Uh, when does the UK get declared to be in depression? Now, uh, okay, that hammers the, the sterling, but uh, then where do you go? The dollar, euro, uh, what, what we've got is... Uh, a tumble of all the currencies and until somebody recognizes that maybe they should be buying uh, Chinese because the Chinese have now abandoned the dollar and uh, the future is out east, uh, we, we'll just see this uh, decay in the value of all currencies with Britain, with the sterling, not going down as fast as it might have done for, for, for the reasons I've suggested, mm. namely the dollar isn't strong, the euro isn't going to remain much stronger. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's the Norwegian kroner and the Chilean peso, the only two <laughs> currencies that uh, uh, have a government behind it that runs a surplus rather than a deficit. Um, do you have a view on the pound, Mike? Well, I'm, I'm a bear. I think, you know, we, we've got a race to the bottom going on between various currencies, and I think the pound will do a pretty good job of getting there first. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, having said that, I think that if the pound declines rapidly, the dollar will too, but later on. And, and you know, I think it'll be waves of uh, destruction. And um, we've seen already the Icelandic kroner yeah. um, decline a lot and uh, big problems in Iceland. And I think, you know, other countries that might go that pattern are Ireland and Spain and eventually the UK. And then after that, the US. Um, so we're going to see a lot of changes in the economy. Um, and some of those are going to be very bad for, for jobs and, and growth. And it's quite expensive to live in London. So that's, that's one, one, one reason why I think we might actually see some depopulation here. Um, but um, I, I wonder if uh, we could talk about um, Fred's theories as well. I mean, maybe we haven't finished this section. but Okay. Uh, no, we, we have. Uh, I've, before, just one closing question, and then we'll talk about Fred's theories. Um, what we have, what we, a definite pattern that we have seen is that some individuals have cut their costs, they're paying down their debt, and uh, they're reining in spending. A lot of um, uh, companies in the private sector have frozen salary rises, they've uh, asked their staff to take pay cuts, their profits are down, they're tightening their belt. And so, but the government doesn't appear to have done that yet. They're talking about doing it, but they don't appear to have done it yet. And so what you've seen is uh, we've had this huge debt bubble, but a lot of the trans we're now seeing a transfer of that debt from the balance sheets of the private sector to the balance sheets of the government. And 
uh, not just our government, but governments worldwide. At what stage do governments become overwhelmed with their own debt and implode? Does anyone, either of both of you, frowning at me a bit? Do you, do you no, want to take that one, Fred? It's, it's, a, it's a, a psychological thing in the end, isn't it? More or less, none of the European and uh, North American economies are, are viable. Uh, they're, they're bubbling along on more infusions of debt, right? So uh, it's a question of uh, the game of chicken and uh, who, who panics first, in my view. And when that happens, we don't know. But um, the people who put their money at risk uh, will tell us which of the indebted governments are, are the ones that they uh, like least, and um, that will signal the, the beginning of the, the panic. And so that's part of the reason why there can be no sustained recovery from here. There is no rational exit strategy that the G20 can talk about because they have no mechanism that makes sense to uh, guide the, uh, uh, themselves, let alone their economies, out of the trap they're in, a debt trap. Uh, they just can't keep pumping more money in and hoping to stay stable. So as soon as one says, okay, well, that's enough, because now we fear huge inflation, uh, the house of cards begins to tumble. That's the layman's account of a, a fearful future. Well, we've seen that in Iceland, and uh, I suppose the, uh, the excesses in Iceland were way beyond practically anywhere else. I mean, they had a huge amount of debt in relation to the size of their economy. Um, they bought a lot of really silly things at very high prices. So it collapsed first, but the property problems of Ireland and Spain um, are headed in that direction. But, you know, the euro has, you know, Germany, which mm -hmm. is in France, which uh, Germany is actually, I think, the largest manufacturing country in the world. So there's some, something really solid there that will probably allow the euro to hold together. Um, even while Spain and Ireland suffer. But um, the UK, funnily enough, seems to benefit from, uh, from uh, uh, weaker currency, and you know, partly because of property. I mean, the big drop in the pound attracted a lot of people into, into London, because London is quite a nice place to live. And so when the pound got, went down to 140, um, many people from around the world thought it looked cheap, and I actually was living in Hong Kong, I have been living in Hong Kong, and um, I went to some property uh, exhibitions where UK companies were overselling various remote parts of London to, uh, mm -hmm. to, to Hong Kong Chinese in a fairly compelling way. Um, but a large part of their Come argument... Yeah, <laughs> a large part of their argument was, look how cheap this is yeah. when you... When you calculate it in your local currency. So um, it did look cheap to them, even though it was far away from central London. Yeah, well, so that is a reason for foreign money in being invested in cheap UK property, but uh, there hasn't been the reciprocal incentive to in increase exports because of the cheap pound, because the, no matter how low the pound goes, our pr uh, pr costs of production just can't compete with suppliers in the Orient. Uh, we are still outsourcing the value-adding work. Uh, so firms in the UK may say that the, the, the things looking brighter because of the pound, 
but actually they've decided to close down their, their, product, their factory and are now making the goods that they're selling to the east in the east. Um, and so uh, what ought to be a glimmer of hope isn't so uh, hopeful in terms of the balance of trade. I could see the pound stepping down in a number of steps, you know, the next time down maybe to a dollar, um, one U.S. dollar per pound, and then maybe down to 90 or 85 and so on like that, but each time followed by a bounce um, before the next step down. Do you think at some stage our government is going to have to decide between the pound and the housing market, which do they want to save? Well, I think they've already seen that. Um, and it's clear which way they've gone. And saving the pound is a matter of maybe propping it up for a few months in, in the hope that by allowing it to drop, they will, and keep keeping rates low, they will save the housing market. Because the, the, the toxicity of the housing is huge because another leg down in the housing market here will, will, will kill the banks again. And I don't know how many times the banks can be saved by the government before the government can't be saved. Mm. And, and that's why the government is locked into this debt trap. It's a downward spiral, and, and there is no rational, coherent strategy, mechanism for recovery. What, what we're seeing uh, offered by the Obama uh, administration, a balanced growth in the future, please. But what's going to, what's going to make um, American consumers save more or Chinese uh, people consume more? Uh, there is no, where is the incentive for it? The, all uh, the, the elements of the traditional economy are still in place. And that's what will drive people's decisions ultimately, not the aspiration to have a ba balanced global economy in the future in order to not have this thing happen all over again. And you can hear more of Harrison and Hampton in part two, which I'll upload in just a couple of days. Frisbee's Bulls and Bears is presented and produced by Dominic Frisbee. To discuss the markets and have your say, why not visit our forum at globaledgeinvestors.com. That's globaledgeinvestors.com. To join our mailing list so you can be updated as soon as a new show is posted, please email info at dominicfrisbee.net or simply subscribe through iTunes.